Welcome back to the Rugby Paper Podcast, where as we look ahead to round three of the Six Nations, a dark cloud hangs over Welsh rugby. Question marks surround Wales versus England as allegations and threats of player strikes mar the build-up. To discuss all this, we have the most fitting of guests joining me and the full house of columnists in the form of one of the all-time greats of Welsh rugby, Jonathan Davis. No Six Nations rugby this past weekend, but a cracking round three to preview today and obviously a certain elephant in the room regarding Welsh rugby that we will address. Um, Nick Kane returns from his one-week hiatus. How are you, Nick? I'm very well, thank you, Ollie. I'm not sure if you watched last week's episode, but a certain Chris Hewitt was insulting your predictions at will Uh, (laughs) (laughs) while you weren't here, which was was enjoyable to sit in on. Um, And... Today, we're joined by none other than Welsh rugby legend, Jonathan Davis. How are things, Jonathan? Morning, yeah, all good, thanks. All yeah. good. good. Yes, not bad, not bad, considering I'm the state Welsh rugby's in, but uh, not in that. So that's, that's a relief. Well, <laughs> let's jump straight into it then. We deliberately didn't really discuss Wales last week, knowing you'd be with us this week. I'm not going to reflect on the rugby side of things yet. We'll save all that for the end. Let's reflect on the off-field stuff. So... A strike threat by the players, potentially seven, 70 players out of contract at the end of this year. Allegations of a toxic environment in the documentary that led to Welsh Rugby CEO Steve Phillips's resignation. I know you've spoken about your 40 years in rugby and this feeling like as defining a moment as ever, but just elaborate on that a little bit. I think it's um, it's always been issues, um, you know, with the game. And I think they haven't really grasped professionalism since it's come in. 95 so um but this yeah you know the the off-field allegations um and the lack of planning i think you know no, they should have some kind of plan i don't think there's any plan and that's the you know, that's the worrying thing and um, you know, looking from the outside in you, you know you don't know what's what's happening you know in there but um now that all these allegations have come out i know that, but the, the thing i get looking from the outside and i've been been you know commentating on it um you know for a long time the lack of trust between the regions and the union, and really the lack of trust between the regions to each other. Now that's that's you know there's never been trust there and, and harmony there, and um, so you know the players I think they saw the opportunity, and England is a big game, the big uh, you know the money maker. Um, so they decided oh, this is our opportunity because I, I I can see where the players are coming from. You know it's they've got a long time to do this and. You don't know where where you're going to be in in May if you're out the contract, and I think it highlighted the fact. I think Jack, I think it was Dixon, I think Jack Dixon got got injured on on Saturday for Dragons, and he's out the contract. So you know, how, how, can you imagine how he feels this morning when he's injured? He doesn't know where how long his injury is going to be, and he doesn't know where he's going to be in May. So you can understand, you know, the, how the players feel, and and I just think it's it's an opportunity you now for for total reform. I think there's. You know, maybe you need a, a very strong CEO running the union, and then you need a, a rugby director, you know, kind of running the rugby because, you know, the age group teams haven't got you know full time coaches, so that we're failing the youngsters, and they're volunteers, obviously. But I think also that the regions can look at themselves because I think that the players are overpaid. And I think that's across the board. You know, this year, year of salaries for some of these players, and you, you can see, you know, it's not sustainable. So I think the players and the regions have to look at it and go, okay, we can't afford to play the pay the players at the the salaries that we are playing. Okay, the, the better ones maybe, but this should have been done a long time ago. But no, maybe it's an opportunity for them to have a total reform with, with the union on the on the rugby side and the business side. Talk about the 
just the sort of dichotomy between pro action and reaction in terms of rugby boards in general. Sorry, I think the West Union, I think, wait, if they saw this coming, if someone like Amanda Blanc fights on the inside, and um, surely, you know, they, they should have listened to her first of all, you know, and then a massive red flag, if she just decides to walk away, a person of that calibre to walk away from an union when, you know, they're trying to diversify the board and everything. It's just that, to me, that was a, such a red flag. And then they must have seen something before that. And then all of a sudden, they've reacted to a television programme. So it's, um, you know, if it was in there, someone was, should have been strong enough to say, right, this is not happening. Uh, we need to address it. But then it, it took a television programme to to highlight it and to address it. Which I, I can't understand it if, it, if if anyone could see this happening in there. You know, just every environment that I've been in, you create that culture, and I think even in the business sense, you know, you, you, every every business I've worked, you know, you, if something is rotten, you sort it out, and you sort it out. Then you can't let things fester because it's only going to get thing, get worse, and it's going to and it's going to appear somewhere along down the line. So I just I just couldn't believe when when you know when the program came out that no one had said something before this. That's uh, and I think with the regions now, it's. Sure, there has to be some kind of business plan, where there's security for the for the regions to be able to to work and plan on getting players. But you know, the t- the team wheels, I think, is kind of uh, you know hidden a lot of cracks. What's your view on the regional situation? We had um, the late great Eddie Butler on uh, back in it must have been June, I think, and he he suggested, and this certainly stoked up a a fuss in the Welsh press of cutting the regions in half to, I think he suggested north and south or east and west. Yeah. I can't quite remember. As you can imagine now, right, Ollie, the, you know, everyone on Twitter are throwing yeah. all kinds of proposals. But unless you're, you know, unless you're looking from the out, from the inside out, you can't really say. You've just got to be honest, you know, and say, right, we can't afford this amount of money. We can't afford to to, to carry four sides. So the you know the the reason they came down to the four regions was because economically they couldn't sustain the, the old first rugby division. So all of the old clubs, the Cardiffs, the Swansea, the and Nethys and Pontypridd, they had to say, "Oh, we haven't got enough money in the professional world, so we got to." So that's where the regions came from. With you know with Moffat, I think it was. So you know we we need to look at it. And they need to say, "Right, do we have the money? If not, we have, we've got to cut the regions." And, and only they know that. So, but I I think if you Surely we can have you know we can have four sides, but um, because if we if we if we cut it down again, I suppose the, the sides would get strengthened. But I'm I'm not really sure. I'm not sure where I stand on that. I think it's if if we if we budgeted well, I, I think there's enough side, enough good players in Wales to do that. You know, and and they can look at the sixty uh, sixty cap rule. They can look at marquee players. You know, the benefactors maybe can you know buy the marquee players. Maybe get a forward and a back. I think. But it all depends on how they're going to structure it and plan it going forward now, because this is the opportunity for them. And, and I do think the regions know themselves that they've, you know, they've overspent on on players. I think a lot of the players are, you know, overpaid. Um, and 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 I think the the regions created that. Jonathan, do you think the players themselves are realistic enough to acknowledge that overall they're being overpaid? Because that would seem to be quite a big stumbling block if you're trying to yeah. move this forward. I, I think it is. I think it is. I think it is. But you know, that's it's. I I do think they they they'll have to realise for the longevity of you know of their careers maybe because I think a lot of them will say oh no I'm not taking a pay cut 
Um, but I don't think they get that much money anywhere else. But your agents are going to say, yes, you are. The players are going to say, yes, you are, obviously. So, you know, that's a massive stumbling block. But, you know, realistically, I think that, the you know, the, the, the players might, should a lot of players would, would would know that they might be massively overpaid, you know. But that, but that's it's difficult now because, you know, you live your life on your on your salary, don't you? So, you know, your mortgages and your, and your lifestyle is geared around your your salary. So I'm thinking, do they wait till these players' salaries now come to an end and then they renegotiate and realize that maybe they've got to drop them a little bit? You know, that when you, it's gonna it's gonna it's, you know is it the same in England? Are England gonna drop the salaries? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that they will have to. You know, yeah. the, the the game. If you look at what's happened with the sort of uh, those two clubs going into administration, Wasps and Worcester, mm. other clubs on the brink of administration. Apparently, that is one of the uh, the, the biggest issues that English yeah. rugby faces as well. But I think I, yeah. I sort of don't know what you feel, but I just feel that you know we're we're getting on for thirty years into professionalism yeah. now, and the mismanagement of the sport is it's mind-boggling really when you look at i mean wage negotiations are one thing and if you want to play hardball on wage negotiations that's one thing but to leave people in a total contractual uh, limbo land a wasteland is just it's just madness i think i'm 100 i'm 100% with the players of where they are you know they, there's yeah. no way you can live your life not knowing where you're going to be in May, you know, because your priority are your family, you know, and, and when we, you know, we we play, we were amateurs, so you know, we we just played and didn't get anything for it, right? So these boys, it's their livelihood, and you, te- and you tend to forget that sometimes. Oh, yeah, you know, but or they get another job. A lot of them aren't qualified to do anything else. So you know, it's it is mind-boggling, as you say, to to come to this situation where these players don't know where they're going to be in May and don't know where where the money's coming from. So. And, but that's it's just a plan. Why haven't they got a business plan? Why haven't they got it with the regions? It should be like five, six year business plans, you know. But yeah, I just I just can't believe it that we've got to the situation. I do I do feel for the for the players. I do, you know, I feel for the regions. But why why couldn't they? Why couldn't they just have some kind of plan? You know, it's um and if they'd have said, look, everyone's getting paid too much or you're wasting your money. But again, there's a lack of trust or the lack of control from the union overseeing the regions, you know. So that you know, if you even on the playing side of it, you know, if if Gatlin now is the director of rugby in the next five years, because I'm not sure what his contract is, does he have any power to influence any of the regions? I don't think he has. So what's the point of him being there? Well, he's he's against the sixty cap rule, and he can't get that scrapped. I think they've said that they are going to scrap it. Yeah, I think. Well, it's, well, it's thank, like it will thank, be thank the Lord. But it I mean, Warren, Warren, Warren's been against that for you know Forever. a long time, yeah. a long time. Because I mean, obviously, it, it it impacts on 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 his selection. I mean, you know, that's the that's the pointy end of it from from his perspective, I suppose. You can see why they brought in. You know, they wanted the Welsh players to play in Wales, right? And he wanted control then. So you could bring the players, but it hasn't really worked because all those players on contracting um, uh, a contract with the the union, they they don't play many games, so they're not an asset to the region. It's all gone though. That that notion of everyone playing, I mean, that's even even the Kiwis have given up on that. 
they allow everyone to push off to Japan for yeah. two full yeah. years between World Cups. And they've basically, they're basically saying to them, so on the one hand, the front they present to the world is, oh, well, you're not going to be picked for the All Blacks if you're not playing in New Zealand. On the other hand, they say, push off to Japan, fill your boots for two years and just come back when we need you to be available. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's obvious. Australia shift and move around this yeah. stuff. South Africa gave up on South Africans playing in South Africa a long, long time ago. It's, yeah. it, I think it's unsustainable now. The players I, I, go where the money is. I totally agree. And that's what I'm thinking now. We're in this you know, dire situation, but this is an opportunity to actually sort everything out. You know, everything, you know, the, the, the 60 cap rule, you know, the money, the regions, you know, everything can start fresh if they can. And, and, and I think, as Nick said, the bigger problem now is getting the players to maybe understand that it's not sustainable with the salary some of them are on. Do you not think, though, Jonathan, it's, it's, it's bigger than Wales in a way? I mean, I mean, the, the whole focus is on Wales and it's a really uncomfortable spot. Yeah. Right? Uh, I mean, everything's coming in on Wales. It's like, it's like, um, it's, <laughs> the, the rugby spotlight is doing to Wales what you lot used to do to England on the field when you were playing in, 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 in the eighties. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost an unequal battle. But I think the problems that we're talking about go far, far wider than Wales. Rugby internationally has never been on the same page since the day professionalism was declared or the yeah. open game was declared. Everyone did something different. The political wars behind it and, and the economic battles behind it have now been going on, as Nick says, for 30 years plus. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's uh, and, and, unless you have some really, really strong, enlightened leadership from people who know what they're doing and aren't, aren't just in it to fly business class from one game to the next, I don't see where the game goes. I think it's a real struggle at the moment to see its way forward because, in a sense, nothing's changed apart from a few pigeons have come home to roost. Nothing's changed since uh, the, the madnesses of 95 and 96. It's uh, a Leicester in... Uh... Leicester in, in trouble at the moment. So I, I read something yesterday. Well, they've got cash flow problems, but I don't think they're in trouble. But they, oh. they, they lost two home matches in a row because of Worcester and Wasps um, pulling out. That was the best part of a million quid in in cash flow. And they were having a, a, a relaunch um, uh, of, of the membership and that. But yeah, they've had to have a thirteen million pound injection from two of their wealthy board members to settle everything down. And if that's you know, if Leicester. If Leicester, they're you know such a big club and they're great as a stadium, and I and I thought it's always full. They got good sponsors everywhere. If someone of of that stature, are, you know, struggling financially, cash flow wise, that's you know, it's 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 a huge huge problem, and 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 they're just hiding behind it. You know, you look at Worcester. You know, I looked at um, you know, I said I went, I nearly went to work for Cecil. Uh, he asked me to be um, player coach when I was finished. And I, I just, you know, didn't fancy it at the time because I wanted to, I wanted to get away from rugby for a bit. But, you know, the money that he put in and the, and the, and the ground and everything, and for them to go and, and you know, the, the history that wasps have, you thinking, well, if if they could go, anyone can go, you know. Yeah. But 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 Bath, who who do have a lot of money comparatively, yeah. feel that they're just able a to push really hard to bump the salary cap in England back up. I mean, crikey. Who 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 comes up with these ideas? Uh, yeah. But they can just, on a whim, go and and, and sign Finn Russell. He won't come. Yeah. Oh, that's for, that's for sure. And as for Leicester's cash flow problems, they go back years. You ever see Dean Richards buy a pint? <laughs> <laughs> it was a human cash flow problem. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
it is sad, you know, we're talking about this now, and it is sad. And uh, as you said, you know, Wales, <clears throat> Wales are at the front of it, unfortunately, because, you know, the, the strike and the big England game and, you know, the allegations. So, yeah, it's it's, it's an opportunity, I think, to, to really sort everything out now. As you said, they haven't really grasped professionalism since it went since the game went pro. So, um, who knows what's going to happen. So, I think it's a real... Because if they do, if, if the England game doesn't go ahead, to the regions, you know, that's the money coming out of the regions' pocket again, I suppose. But I think that the, the the implications of the England game not going ahead is it's massive, you know, because I would imagine it's it's the best part of seven or eight million out of the uh, WRU's budget. More but than that, I'd say think of the think, think of the ramifications further yeah. than that. You know, if if a game is 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 either cancelled uh, or postponed. And, you know, it's possible that Wales could be, you know, could forfeit their participation in the rest of the championship. You know, all all of these, if you look at the ramifications of it, you know, if you can't compete because of whatever uh, reason, then, you know, you, you're, you're, you're breaking the contractual rules, you know, broadcast rules, all, yeah. all yeah. manner of things. So the, the ramifications are massive. It would certainly concentrate a few minds, wouldn't it? Certainly would. Um, I, I mean, I mean, actually, it could be a real catalyst and accelerant towards the kind of proper accounting of where rugby stands around the world and and what it's trying to achieve and 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 the way forward, so to speak. It would certainly be. It would certainly uh, concentrate some minds on, on on that. I'm I'm sure it won't happen because Wales will have a Wales will have 15 blokes to put on the field against England anyway. I, apparently, Yian and Nigel Walker are on the wings. Jiffy's <laughs> looking pretty sharp. And, and you're laughing, Jiffy, but I understand. <laughs> There's no way. <laughs> Does no anyone way. think the game won't go ahead? No, it'll go ahead because the ramifications are too serious. Yeah, I remember, do you remember 20, no, 2000, England were going on strike before the Argentina match. Yeah. And uh, it, it was pretty serious. It sort of got, I'm not ever quite sure what it was about, but they were like, you know, Jono was on the warpath. And they, they lined up a team from the championship. They were going to pick a team from the championship if, yeah, if the players yeah. didn't back down. Friend, you just it? have to get 15 on the part and fulfil your contractual obligation. That, that, would be laugh, that would be laughable, wouldn't it, then? It would, yeah. But they, they, it would save them <laughs> save them you know, a lot of legal expenses. Um, it, it, as, it, as was, it, was, it was overmatch fees, as I recall. And um, I mean, <laughs> it did. It, 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 it was a very, very uncomfortable situation for a while. And, and Clive Woodward, who was manager stroke coach at the time found it extremely uncomfortable um and he was ex exceptionally angry about it but of course they'd they could have done it they could have threatened to strike before they played the wallabies but didn't they picked the argentina game instead and it was a bad look because when the talks broke down they all drove away from penny hill park which is a bit like sandringham um uh, in their in their pretty flash cars, moaning about money, and of course they're playing a side who was strictly amateur at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was a pretty poor look. So, as usual in rugby, the, the the PR side of it wasn't quite handled as well as it might have been. Yeah, I, I think the ramifications are too large for them not to go ahead. But I think the threat is there. Or you're asking, like, I think they are. You know, a, it's a serious threat because you know they've all come together and it's a livelihood of some of the players. So. Are they surely they can you know sort something out before before well hopefully Wednesday's a deadline day isn't it yeah but it, you know it just shows what kind of position the game is in in Wales and the lack of harmony between regions and you know the union and it, and it's come to 
it's come to the head, to head, you know, and it's it's very sad, very sad. So, can and I the ask great you... mystery about all of this is that throughout all the mismanagement of Welsh rugby in the last 10, 15 years, is their extraordinary record in the Six Nations, you know, yeah. punching well above their weight with Grand Slams and Championships, and it's it's masked, it's almost masked everything that's been going wrong because the has... Wales have been so successful. That's that's what's happened, Brendan. That's what's happened, and everyone said, "Oh, yeah, where's it going? Where's it going well? Where's it going well?" But ultimately, again, you know, there's no, there's a lack of depth in Wales, and I've said this for a long, long time. You know, we there's a lack of depth, so you know, we failed the youngsters by not giving them the correct coaching. You know, and when they come up to the regional set, they're not, they're not good enough. You know, um, and then maybe they're thrust into it when the internationals are on, and it's and it's not, it's not good development for the players. Um, so you know that you can see the regions have been really poor, um, and, and that's been uh, no one's coming to watch them. There's no connection to the supporters. You know a lot of the supporters because so it's, it's it has definitely masked what's beneath what's beneath it. I mean, this would have come to a shock uh, as a shock to Warren, mate, won't it? Because in his previous incarnation as coach there. One of the things he traded on, I'm not saying he did it deliberately, but one of the things he was able to manipulate to his advantage was this great team spirit around the international camp because it was full of people who weren't getting in any great any great satisfaction out of regional rugby, and they were all relieved to be there. And that was yeah. a really tight group of players, really well, tight. And to see it all splatter away like this um, in his first three games is yeah. interesting. It'll be a big test of... Of how he handles it, actually, I think. Well, you've got, and also you've got, you know, you've got England home, you know, that's a tough game. And you've got two away games. The Italians will be tough. They're playing a lot better this year and they're, you know, they're really, you know, improved at home anyway. Um, and then you've got France away. So, you know, it's not, it's not going to get any easier. Mm. No. Jiffy, can I ask you? So you said that you're, 100% with the players. Um, Warren Gatland has come out and said something similar, but that he's not supporting the players striking this week. If you were Warren Gatland, would you have come out and said something like that? He's in a difficult position, isn't he? He's he's uh, He works for the WIU. He's yes. paid for the WIU. <laughs> so, yeah, I think he's back to players. I think he's saying, I hope there's not a strike. If he'd have said, I hope it's all sorted out before the game on Saturday, maybe, you know? Um, but because the press are going to jump on every every comment that he makes, um, so it's maybe you, you know you, you regret saying that maybe, um, but he's in, he's in a very difficult position, I suppose. Um, but he's turned into Keir Starmer, isn't he? Yeah, he's turned yeah. into Keir Starmer. He's basically yeah. saying, "I support the cause, but I don't support the strike." Yeah, have you ever seen Warren and Keir Starmer in the same room? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> But in a, in, a, in a way, he's being he's actually being honest. You know, I mean, the the reality is is that he probably does support the players' position uh, that they've been left in a contractual limbo. But he knows very well that um, if the game doesn't go ahead for whatever reason, you know, he he could end up having to coach a, a team of not even semi pros, perhaps, you know, or or, or whatever. And um, it would be a disaster for the union as well, and for the game in Wales. You know, you're, you're dead right. You're dead right. He, he he's a player driven coach, if ever there was one. Yeah. Absolutely, he's 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 the opposite of the dictator coach. Yeah, he's 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 much he's much more he's 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 much more of a consensus guy, and he's always been really pro to players. I think he defends the players to the hill. Actually, that's yeah. always been my impression of him, and I'm sure that's the case at the moment. I, th- he, I think. 
I think the top players, you know, the top players, they'll be okay because they can walk into another contract. You know, they can go abroad, they can go anywhere they want. It's the the kind of journeymen, you know, kind of squad players that have the issue because they, you know, are they good enough to go elsewhere? Who knows? Are they going to get paid the same amount of money they're getting paid at the moment? Who knows? I doubt it. So that's you know that's that's where the problem is is, and and I find it the players have all they've all they've all had to back each other and then you know Warren's come in, he says look I'm not, I, I don't want the game not to go ahead but I understand the player situation that's what that's what he's generally saying I thought he totally understands the players situation, and unfortunately the threat of the game is, is the only thing they can do to get this kind of thing sorted I think. I do think it's a good idea. One of the other demands, as I understand it, is to have a have a have a players' rep on the professional game board. I don't see a problem with that. No, me. Be, because because a they have every right to be on the professional game board because they are major stakeholders. I.e., they're the people who are playing the game. But also, you head this kind of crisis point. You you can head it off at the pass if they're fully informed. One of their complaints is they've not been fully or not been informed at all about what the it. hell is going on about their own personal circumstances. Which then, is again, that's the that's the lack of trust between the union and the regions. You know, they they just for some reason they've been they've been like this since well since I can remember. So, I, but I don't understand why there hasn't been a plan or you know total transparency or a business plan to run the business. If you I had just... Alan Wynn sitting there in, on the professional game board, I mean, I mean, Alan, I mean, I mean, I know he can be a bit random at times, but he's a bright bloke, and he knows how many beans make five. If yeah. a bloke, of, a player of his stature, is there representing the players in the major discussion body on the Welsh Rugby Union, I don't understand what's not to like. Yeah, I, I don't know I, what's wrong. I don't understand what's wrong with that. You know, and that should have happened when the game went professional. So you can have the, you have a player's perspective of you know. On the board, but that's that's another thing. They, I think they need to get a board to run the professional game because I do believe that the non-execs, when this allegation, these allegations came out, that they stepped in to really kind of steady the ship um, and just to, and and make the big decisions at, at that particular time. So, yeah, I just think that they, it needs a board, who, a professional board, to run the, the gaming wheels, you know, and then give guarantees to the amateur, to the amateur game and the, and the grassroots. But you know, these these. You think there's a lot of common sense that should be, you know, had here, but it doesn't seem to happen. And yeah, it's just this is where we're at again. Chris, it was interesting that you made the comparison um, with the 2000 strike, and I'm ashamed to say that I was one year, uh, one years old, one year old when that happened. So I don't really remember um, <laughs> the the public response to it, but I have seen. I think it's mentioned in Building Jerusalem. Um, so I, you know, have seen a lot about it, but. One thing it didn't really show was whether the public were actually sympathetic to the players, because I think the public are very sympathetic here. But I wondered how that compares to two thousand. I, th- I, th- I think they, I think they, I think they probably were actually, because I'm not sure that a rugby bloke in the street has much time for rugby officialdom. I mean, they're, they're, they feel far a far greater connection to the players, and it, it, it wasn't as though I mean I. I it was only half a joke about people driving away in their flash cars and something that looked like Sandringham and they're actually going to play against an amateur team and all or not play against an amateur team, all that business. You know, if any if either of the two teams had a problem at that point, it probably wasn't England. It was it was the Pumas. Um but that, that that's a sort of aside. People people 
some of the some of the, the ringleaders or the senior figures at the players' end of that dispute, people like Martin Johnson, the rugby guy in the street, the rugby man and woman in the street, had an implicit trust in Martin, somebody like Martin, far more than they had in yeah. the suits of the rugby football union. Yeah. So, so if you, if if you want a, a popular vote to say who's right on this issue, Martin Johnson or Francis Barron, the chief executive, I think it's probably only one winner. Yeah. Um, that I mean, RFU officialdom would have had it had its supporters, but if you're just talking about pure numbers and the people who were interested in rugby yeah. without having any official role in it, but, then I think the players. Would but it was, a, it was a very different. It was a very different dispute because yes, it, yes, it, it was a dispute about. England match fees. Yeah. Whereas this is about people's total careers. So it's far more fundamental by degree. Yeah. This is fundamental. I think the um, I think the people are sympathetic of uh, the players. Um and I think, you know, once they and maybe if they knew some of the wages that the players were on and how the regions maybe mismanaged it, they wouldn't be as sympathetic. But as Nick said, this is a situation which should never have happened, and that is purely, you know, down to the WIU. Unfortunately, they should have said, "Look, we can't." How were we in this position where, you know, it's a couple of months' time and players aren't contracted? Now, that's that's the, the breakdown in communication, whichever way it's come from the regions or the or the union, for the interest of the players, the regions and the union should have settled this. It's it's, it's a disgrace that it's got to this stage, mm-hmm. and the players have had to. Come and say, right, England wears biggest man earner, we're striking. And you could see the opportunity. They went, right, that's enough for this, but the one opportunity for us, yeah, you know, they maybe not looked looked it through. And if it doesn't go ahead, there's so many you know, ramifications. But it's it's highlighted the problem that they wanted to get sorted a long way back. And that's that's the issue here. So if the players were to were not to strike, so it seemed to me that there were three main points, um, and this is the last thing I'll flag on this before we move on, unless anyone has anything else to say, but it seemed to me uh, Wales Rugby Online or Wales Online is saying that the 60 li- cap limit has to be scrapped, the WRPA has to be on the professional rugby board, and the 20% performance bonus is to be scrapped. Those are the three main points. Jiffy, is that how you understand it as well? Uh, yeah, I think so, but you know, I am I am really took much notice of it because I'm thinking, right, let them sort it out. Because I think you have to be involved to understand what are the issues on both sides. I think that's it. So, you know, I think for to get the game ahead, you've got to sort the differences out so the players are happy and then maybe sort a lot of other things out after the Six Nations. I think that has to be, the, this, like I said before, it's a total opportunity for complete reform. It's like a kickstart where, right, how can we do it? How can we move on together? How can we strengthen the regions? And then all of a sudden, then move forward. And I think trust is a big thing. But even some kind of plan, you know, any plan would have, it is, is better than what's happening at the moment. Let's leave that there. And <clears throat> it sounds like total reform is what's needed. Um, so, well... One, let's hope for that. And two, let's hope for something of a game this weekend. We'll get to previewing that a little bit later. Let's put some smiles back on some faces uh, with Jonathan Davis's random rugby 15. I know we're a little bit tight for time, so let's put the quick in quick fire for this. Um, but Jiffy, if you're ready, we'll get going with those. Come on then. Nickname. 
Obviously, Jiffy. <laughs> what's, what's your nickname, Jiffy? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that might be the only time everyone has known the answer to that question before it's been asked. Best rugby yeah. memory? Um, I think just first cup, winning, playing for Wales. Because I hadn't, I hadn't played at any level for Wales, so to get that was, um, yeah, was was special. Most embarrassing rugby memory? I kicked the ball uh, playing in Bermuda Classic. I fly hacked the ball into uh into touch and i think whether he's the bermudan prime minister or premier i don't know what, what his title was i caught him flush in the face and um it was they had to look after him for a bit and then i bumped into him on the street a couple of days after so um yeah <laughs> that's really good <laughs> was it a good strike the fly hack yeah. Yeah, it was a good. Yeah, well, you know, just cleared it in the touch. You know, that's all it was. Got it before the wing. Yeah, just fly hacked it. And the other one is like when when we played for England uh, for Wales. You know, we didn't go off the pitch for ten minutes, did we? So you just you have a circle in the middle of the pitch for a minute. And I was kneeling down. You know, calling each in the middle, and the boys decided to walk away. So it was a bit embarrassing. You know, just, <laughs> you know, you're in Cardiff Arms Park doing your business, and then all the players just walk away from you. So. <laughs> Pre-game tune. Um, what did I? It's uh, real, the real thing by you two. Post game meal, post game, yeah, after a game. Oh, hey, depends where we were, you know. With Neath, there was sausage and chips, bean sausage and chips, you know, and same old thing, you know, no nutritionists around in those days, so it depends whatever the club wanted to put on the table for you. When I was, um, pre match was an omelette, I was having an omelette, um, before the match, but then. After a match, yeah, who knows? Whatever, whatever they put in front of you. Best player you've played against? Well, it's a tough one. This, I think. Um, so I've been very fortunate, you know, to play against a lot, a lot of the greats. And um, I think as a forward, maybe Michael Jones, maybe as a forward, and then as a back, um, maybe Campisi. Nice. Best player you've played with? Oh, I think uh, that's another tough one. Um, I think Terry Holmes takes some beating. Favourite player right now? Oh, God. Oh, uh, DuPont. Nice. Rugby idol? Uh, growing up, it was, you know, he had so many in the, in the 70s, but I, for me, it was uh, Gerald Davis. Uh, but I, I, and Benny to a degree, because I used to watch Benny play, you know, every yeah. Saturday and every Wednesday in Stradley Park. So I remember Gerald Davis, you know, flying down. I, I remember a photo of him with his collar up and everything with the ball in his hand. So yeah, Gerald and Benny. Favourite stadium? Oh, um, <clears throat> never played the Millennium Stadium or Principality. Um, Paris Arms Park is, uh, is special, but maybe um, Parc de France. Favourite gym mm. exercise? <laughs> gym exercise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The favourite machine, they say, yeah, the vending machine. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I, maybe uh, I do like the Watt bike now. Oh, nice. Yeah. Didn't have them back in no, your no, day. No. Uh, a bit of, well, I didn't know any weights when I played for Wales. Only 11 and a half stone. So um, I was about, yeah, I, I just, you know, I used to do cleans, a bit of cleans. Nice. Occupation if rugby didn't exist. Oh, God. Uh, I think I'd have been in in sales, I think. I was a, okay. I was a contracts manager for an industrial painting company. So, yeah, maybe that. No. Superstitions? I didn't, didn't have any. Rugby law, you would change. Um, oh, I'd definitely bring back rucking. 
Get rid I think of, it, yeah. You know, those the jack when I see all those guys in the jackal position, I'm like, oh god, you know, anything <laughs> could happen here. It's uh it's a very dangerous position to be in. So um I think and everyone's kind of scared of rucking, but you know, rucking it's if you do it properly, I think it's a lot safer than the current yeah. laws. I think Chris Hewitt might agree with you there. His expression oh, is always so inscrutable. It's 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 just it's just music to my ears. It, yeah. It's been a so many of rugby's on-field problems stem yeah. directly from the fact that it's no longer a numbers game around the ball. No, yeah. it's decreased the space. It's got people stood out in the threes that you don't want to see out there, uh, and it's changed rugby massively. Uh, leaving aside the obvious, the obvious medical. And 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 physical sort of disaster area, which is the jackal position, which is a shocker. And I can't, I do not understand for the life of me. I was still in the game. I do not. Lastly, best thing about working in rugby. Oh, I, I've said this from day one. Is I think I just think it's the people. You know, I, I, where you know I've made friends, friends for life. You know, and um, you only got to you don't see them for years, and straight away you straight into it as if you haven't left. You know, left their side. So from all from the the junior rugby clubs of Trim Saran, you know, to uh, to the you know the Welsh team and the, you know the journalists and I played in an era where you know we we sat down and had you know interviews, long interviews with the journalists, and when we were on tour, you know, we got to know them and trusted them, and it was just you know it, it was just a delight to be you know around those kind of people, um, and you you know you you trusted each other, so and and if you had any issues. Any problems? You could go to someone within that environment, you know, to chat about it. So, um, yeah, the pe- I think the the people, pre- maybe the people free social media. Idiots on there now. I'm like, oh god, nice little touch. All right, awesome stuff. Thanks for doing that, Jonathan. And that most embarrassing rugby memory is definitely one of the better ones. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We've had not many people can say they've hit the Bermuda yeah. Premier in the face of the, ro- in the, face of the rugby ball. Back to Bermuda, though, I he should have been, been watching the game anyway. <laughs> <laughs> how, how many rugby people would have loved to knock out a head of state down the years? That's absolutely oh. fantastic. <laughs> I know. Yeah, you, you was close to the pitch. <laughs> oh, dear. Right. Now, let's look ahead to Wales, England, presuming it does happen properly. Everyone submitted their predictions. We'll get to those in a second. I actually want to look at England first and look at one of the players who definitely won't be there this weekend, and that's Manu Tuolangi. Brendan, I think we're all in agreement that that was a, as red as a red card gets. Yeah, yeah, that was... Uh, he, he did one, didn't he? And, and it was a legal one, and he got the taste for it. He went back for the big fend about a second later, and it was it was out of order given the current... Uh, regulations. So no, that was a red. That'll be a month. Well, it'll be the normal six weeks down to four, and then a week's tackle school. Or even though it wasn't a tackle, so it'll be a three-week ban, and he's out of the Six Nations. Now, I don't think he was going to play. Um, he certainly wasn't going to start. I think England are, are inclined to go with the guys uh, who started last time, Ollie Lawrence and um, Henry Slade. But it's about time England found out, you know, whether they can actually function without the the potential of Manu playing. He's been hanging around for five or six years with the occasional sort of cameo appearance. England just, this is the opportunity to put this to one side. We're going to play the entire tournament without Manu even in the background. 
and let's see if we can make this back division work because it hasn't worked properly for a long time. The England back division. Yeah, now, that, you know you tend to know. There's you know people say even though what's a high tackle, what's a illegal tackle, some illegal tackle before all these kind of changes and I just everyone knows what a high tackle is. You just got to you know referee them properly. If you referee the laws properly, and that was a four arm smash. So yeah. You know, that would have been a sending off in, in our day. So it's um, it was a stupid thing to do. Everyone's like, you know, watching everything these days. So he, he had to go, unfortunately. So, uh, but he was pumped up. He, he knew he had to do a big performance because he, he yeah. lost ground with England. He was yeah. pumped up and he looked fit. But that was a really, really silly thing to do. Yeah. Would it have been a sending off in rugby league? And even in rugby league, I think it was sending off. Okay, like maybe yellow card, maybe I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, I think I think a red card in in league because you know it's, it was so clear, you know, yeah. there's no mitigation whatsoever. So, um, yeah. but I think going back to the England 10-12 axis, um, you just got to pick Marcus Smith or you got to pick uh, uh, Owen Farrell. That's the first thing, and then you got to work who's going to be outside him because I don't think a, a Faz likes playing at twelve. He looks a little bit disinterested sometimes. Um, because you know he wants to play ten, so they've they've got to make a call and decide who's going to play ten and twelve for England going forward. You know, with the World Cup coming up now, and um, Lawrence played okay last week, but it'll, it'll be a bigger test. You know, this mm. uh, this week. Do you think George Ford will confuse the issue? Uh, well, just they've got to they've got to pick a ten, whether it's Ford, Farrell, or Smith. That's it. You know, make a call, pick one or or, or the other. Then you can't pick the other ones in the center. You can't pick Faz in the center. I think that's that's the key. Make a call at ten, stick to it, and then you play, then you play the 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 twelve and thirteen outside of them. That's that's the call for me. You got you're getting paid lots of money. You've got to make the brave calls. Part of me worries with that, Chris. And I was going to obviously bring up the George Ford issue is that the England blueprint ever since twenty sixteen has been a playmaker at ten and twelve, and it may Ford coming back in may mean. An acceptance of Smith and Fowl not necessarily working, but looking to rekindle the Ford and Fowl that worked so well in 2019. I don't know if you agree, or that's something you're worried about as well. I, th- I, th- I think, um, I think, I think Lawrence, Lawrence, Lawrence could could tick a lot of boxes for England actually if he continues his development in you know only started promisingly. It's very very early days for him, but he looks as though he looks as though he has a bit to the a bit to his game. Um, you know, more more he's more than he's more than the straight. You know, wanna get us over the game line type. I mean, he can he can do some other things, and I think Slade has the potential to be really important. I mean, they do have a bunch of options there. To my mind, George Ford's the best ten in England. Yeah. Um, but he brings with him a defensive fragility, which some coaches uh, are very very wary of. But there again, so does Marcus Smith in a sense. I mean, he's not exactly Andre Pollard himself, is he? You know, get you know, gets me up. Sorry about then. I don't understand why. Why has why why haven't these countries developed the twelve? I remember John Kerwin telling me if man man on who was told if you don't you know learn yourself to pass and to kick you won't be playing in your black so so why can't there be you look at all these clubs and they're all professional why can't they play left and right so if you want to put a move on why just can't you put Henry Slade at twelve if you want to take the ball up give it to Ollie or Lawrence and then he can take it up I don't understand why. They're so rigid, 12 and 13. You can swap over at, at different positions. 
it was his left foot when it's needed, you know. Chuck him a miss oh. one or put him in the centre, put him on the other side of the scrum. So Slate, because he's got number 13 on his back, he hasn't got to play outside centre. And I don't understand the thinking between any of the coaches that say, right, well, let's swap him around and use the, those players' abilities when we need them. Funnily enough, you, you mentioned that before the 2015 World Cup. That's exactly what Lancaster did when they fast-tracked Burgess into the side. So in the World Cup warm-ups, he played alongside Slade, certainly in the first game against France, yeah. England scored some bloody good tries, actually, in, in a good performance. And on yeah. defensive ball, Burgess was at 12. Yeah. And and whenever they wanted to do something with the ball, rather than just try and run over someone, Slade was the man. He was he was first receiver, stroke second receiver. So yeah. it has sort of been dibbled around with, but I, I completely agree with you. That seems to have gone out. I, the just, I just don't get it, what they don't do it. Yeah. It just yeah. baffles, it baffles me. Baffles me, honestly, God. I mean, the, the, the Ford-Farrell um, combination came in, as I remember it, by default, as these things very often do, because Tuolagi was unfit. Jones would have gone with Tuolagi definitely at uh, inside centre if he'd been fit from the outset. Um, I think that, you know, I mean, I, I agree. England are very rigid in in terms of the way in which they think about this. I think uh, Ford definitely does... Um, throw a spanner in the works in a sense, but uh, competition's a, a good thing. It is very surprising that he's been bought in so quickly. It was a bad injury that he's had. He was out for a long time. I noticed that Brian O'Driscoll said um, uh, recently, just just over the weekend, he said, you know, he couldn't understand uh, him being brought back so soon uh, when he's played so little rugby. You know, I mean, he's hardly played. Half an hour yesterday, and actually he wasn't cracking yesterday. He, he was on the pitch when uh, they began to fade, you know. Um, yeah. oh, sorry, Saturday, wasn't it? Yeah, um, yeah half an hour's rugby in eight months. Oh, it's a, long, it's a long way back. But but to me, all things being equal, and if he's as fit as he, he can be, to me, he's the best He's the best 10 in the country. He's a game-managing 10. Yeah. He's 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 the best thing in have. I mean, he's the nearest thing. I once said to Stuart Barnes, he's the nearest thing I've seen to you, Barnsley, in style and, yeah. and just rugby nice yeah. and game management. But then that's not saying much because you ran around Stuart Barnes down at the Knoll one night, didn't you? A uh, couple, couple of times. Yeah. <laughs> what, you came back and did it again, did you? <laughs> it is early days to bring him back in. Um, obviously, no team news. As yet, one one player that's also been ruled out is Ollie Hassel Collins, which means that England will have someone else on the wing, presuming Max Malins keeps the other spot. Brendan, who would you go with? It seems to me to be a shootout between Henry Arundel and Anthony Watson. That's a close one, isn't it? Um, I mean, I want to see Arundel get full eighty, but this is a must, you know, not a must-win game for England, but you know, it would be really nice for Borthwick to get this one, this scout. Uh, and Anthony Watson down in Cardiff, and it's going to be a bit mad down there, isn't it? Uh, there's a lot of emotion swirling around one way or another. You kind of want Anthony Watson for this one, I think. But uh, I want to see Arundel get the full 80 you know, sooner rather than later. Yeah. Can I just add, by the way, the perennial number 12 debate, uh, I got shot down more than once 12 months ago. There is a number 12 in England. It's Freddie Stewart. He's Jamie Roberts. He's, he's um, the Barrett brother incarnate. He could do, he could become one of the best 12s in the world. It's just, do you want to sacrifice your best 15 to move him to 12? Is uh, Definitely a not. Good enough? Hmm? Definitely <laughs> is not. 15 good enough to come back and make good? But the, the, the solution is there, boys, if England want to be brave enough. The, the lucky thing for you is you've got, you know, you, you've got a lot of strength and depth in a lot of positions. And, uh, 
you know, we're, we're struggling to, to, you know, to, to fill centres is a problem in Wales as well, you know, 10, 12 axis or... But you won't pick Nick Tompkins, Jeff. What's I mean, he, what has he done wrong? I don't know what this bigger, you know, he's bigger, he's, he's bigger the 10 moving forward. You know, who knows? It's, it's mm. who knows? Who's the, who's the 10 if bigger isn't? Well, it was Anscombe, wasn't it? And yeah. he's at a and uh, but he'll be coming back. So Patchell doesn't hasn't played enough. Um, Owen Williams, you know, he's, he's Owen Williams has been around, and all of a sudden he's he's playing with the Ospreys and he's back in the squad. So it's 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 a it's a tough call. I think Patchell, if he gets a run of games, could be um, you know the, the next number ten for Wales. But he's got to have it, a run of games. It's a struggle in Wales. So I mean, you know, it, it, I mean, you've never had any tens down there, have you? No. <laughs> oh, Chris, so mean. Brendan, I, if you're pro Freddie Stewart at 12, what are your thoughts on George North at 12? I think he's done all right. But I mean, the trouble is, I mean, Wales have been poor generally. And it's been mainly a defensive shift from him. Um, and, you know, it is a big change for a wing playing centre defensively, as, as Jiffy, I'm sure. But by that, I mean, obviously, he's been playing at 13 for Wales. Yeah, you which is the in. most difficult position of all. Depends you move him into the Jamie Roberts twelve role. That to me is the more obvious place for for him to to play if you're going to go that route for the big man. I'm a big Nick, Nick Tompkins fan, and I thought he brought something to Wales. He, you know, he's one of the PVAC success stories, if I want of a better word. And I don't know if the well, I don't think there is an injury because he played very well again yesterday for Saracens. So um, I'd be pretty disappointed if he doesn't feature somewhere this week, Tompkins. Yeah. But also, you know, I mean, you you mentioned Arundel earlier on. The idea of seeing both Arundel and uh, Louis Rees-Samet on the pitch at the same oh, time. Yeah. That, yeah. you know, that could put a smile on the face of the England-Wales game that oh, I yes. there at the moment. Yeah. In, in, a, in, a, in a straight race, from what I saw on, on the, 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 the Gloucester game at the weekend, in a straight race, there's only one winner there, at, quick as Arundel is. Aaron will be up after 50 and then Rees-Samet would come through that is a freaky (laughs) he puts distance in in the space of 10 yards 15 tops he puts massive difference between himself and the rest Rees-Samet he's as quick as anything I've seen (coughs) on a rugby field presuming then Jiffy that Rees-Samet will come back in now you think I know you lamented the lack of backline threats I mean there's, there's one in in a Wales 14 shirt right there. But unfortunately, because the link, you know, I, I think we've, you know, we we, have, we haven't looked like creating anything. So having players on the wing, you know, we've we got to get them the ball. That's the key thing. So, and you know, we've kept a lot of possession away. We haven't got that connection between 10 and 12. We play a little bit too deep. Then we go through the phases, Dan Bigger drops back in the pocket and kick. So, you know, we, we have to show some creativity against England and the connection between 10, 12 and 13, we haven't had it. You know, you watch Ireland play, you watch Scotland play, and they're doing plays. And that's all. If you're doing plays, you've just got to make the defence, you know, make a choice. But at the moment, we're not making defenders have to make a choice. We're, we're looking very ponderous and, and flat. So that's, um, you know, we've got to, we haven't got a lot of go forward. You know, Ken Owens is carrying the ball on his own. So we need we need go forward and then we need that creativity between ten and twelve if if the back three are gonna have any influence on the game. It's a it's a problem at ten though, isn't it? I mean I I, I really 
believe me when I say I, I absolutely treasure Dan Bigger. I think as a beating heart player, somebody who is absolutely first out of the trenches. I mean, yeah. both were, when he was at Ospreys, him and Alan Wynn were carrying that club week after week after week after week. He's done fantastic stuff for Wales, but he is not a creator in the sense <laughs> of some of the Welsh outside ours, yourself, yourself included, of... of of the past, and he's not a creator in the sense that Finn Russell or Jonathan Sexton is uh, a is a play creator. He, he's not that kind of ten, is he? At all. I think he created a lot. He created more with Northampton. They played a different style of game, and they were and they were flatter. So you know, he just because well, Chris Boyd was good for him. Yeah, yeah, Jamie Roberts on his outside, and Jonathan Davis. You know, I think they're the biggest backline Wales have ever had. So you know, you could you could use them a lot, and they did use them a lot, and then he went after you know certain phases. So. Yeah, that's 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 an issue now. And again, you know, if you drop him, it's a big call to drop Dan because he is such a big, a big, big character in that squad. So, but hey, you know, if you've got you got style, you got to change you, your style. And you know, everyone gets, everyone's had it. You know, time catches up with everyone. Would you go with um, with with Dan and um, a combination of Nick Tompkins and and George North just for the, you know, just for the, I, I suppose the linkage. You know, they have played together. I think he looks threatening, um, Tompkins does, with a ball in hand. Um Haw- Hawkins is a is a nice footballer, but he hasn't he hasn't played a lot of games and I think he needs to, you know, develop a little bit more. But I think that's that's the safe bet, I suppose. That is the safe bet in the 10, 12, 13 um positions. And then we let's see what happens then at the what moment. Do, I, I think that game, if England play the same you know, with a kick, kick in so much in the opposition twenty two, yeah, if it comes off, it's brilliant. You know, but if they if they don't go through the phases, um, you know, at, the game's going to be a very very slow set piece and everything, and that and may, that might uh, favour Wales. Well, you've just sort of alluded to what your prediction for the weekend is. Um, dis- despite the tone of the narrative, you've gone for a Wales win, Jiffy. Now. I was trying to conjure up the narrative that you would have come up with for that to have happened. And the narrative I've got in my head is something similar to what Brian Moore said of the players actually coming together at a time when, you know, they are really naturally brought together by their own struggle. Is that the sort of vision you have for this weekend? I don't, I think with Wales losing, you know, two games, this, you didn't need any, you know, Galvanizing to do to be in England. The, the, they've all been there. The atmosphere. It's a five o'clock kickoff, right? The build-up will be. Hopefully, it'll get better once it's all sorted. So you wouldn't need kind of any motivation, any more motivation than England coming to Cardiff. But again, with this, with what's happened, it it would galvanize you because you, the only place you can forget, forget all your troubles is on the on the park. Um, but I I just felt that this was a game that with England. With Borthwick, not sure what style they want to play, not sure which players they you know they want to pick in in the combinations that come into Cardiff, and the style of rugby that they played against Italy would, would suit Wales. I I just feel that you know Wales would will dog it out on on Saturday. Who's going to be brave enough after the game to go around, around the Welsh players and ask for a whip round for the referee, Jonathan? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, oh. oh. Or a whip round for you know Stephen Phillips or something like that. You know he's on how to work now. So um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's um, it is where it is. Really. I think you know France, France and Ireland are up there. We'll see where Scotland are, you know, after Saturday. But I think that's those two are 
had up there, and then this is a battle. This is going to be a real battle on Saturday, a real battle. Certainly is. And the other person in your corner is Nick Kane, who off the back of it, he's in form with the predictions following predicting a France win in Dublin and joining the Turkey Club. Um, Nick, England haven't won in Cardiff for seven years. Um, You're going to have to stand by your prediction of a Wales win, but do you actually stand by your prediction of a Wales win? Um, I'd I'd probably... um... I might uh, retrench on that one if I could, but I'm not going to. And because well, I you're do, not, you're, you're not allowed. No, no, no. <laughs> I think it'll be. I think it'll be. I think it'll be uh, very close. What I hope is, is that Wales do not pick Jack Morgan and Tommy Raffle in the back row together again, because um, they're both. They're they You know. I mean, just the size now of modern back fives to have two guys. I mean, Morgan is, is, is under six foot. Um, Raffle just about knocking on six foot and they got, um, they got, you know, they got blasted off the ball um, and on the ball uh, against Scotland. So I think that that would be um, a mistake. I think that Morgan is, is, you know, should be at open side, probably bring, bring back, um, uh, Toby Falatau at eight, and keep uh, Christ Chizuna on the uh, on the blind side. And if they do that, you know, I, th- I think that they're capable of uh, of mixing it with England. I definitely do. I mean, England England improved against Italy, no question. But um, there, there'll still be a few, uh, you know, a few a few cracks in the. Uh, in the mindset following the, that loss to Scotland. Well, I look forward to watching you slip further and further down the leaderboard. <laughs> <laughs> Jiffy, do you need to get going? Yeah, I'll have to go now. I'm afraid I'm uh... Yeah, no worries. Um, obviously, thank you so much for joining us. Um, and you're in Cardiff at the weekend, aren't you? Presuming Hopefully. it goes ahead. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, your boots. <laughs> That'll be a hell of a day. Um, so looking forward to that. Sometimes when there's off-field issues, the on-field is exactly the saving grace that we all need. So good luck to Wales. Not too much luck, of course. But again, yeah. thank you so much for joining us. No, it's great to see some old hey. faces. Good yeah, to see you, Take care, lads. Bye, Jiffy. Guys, if it's okay with you, we just five more minutes yeah, to preview the other, um, other games. So... Let's look at France versus Scotland then, very, very briefly. I think that's the other headline game of the weekend. Now, the French, obviously, they first loss in, oh, God, I don't even know, but 14, 15 games. Chris, yeah. is Scotland smelling blood? I don't see why they shouldn't be. Um, you know, if I were them, I, I would feel uh, I would feel absolutely up about things. Um, I, I I love the way their back line is playing. Um, I... I, I I think that Richie Gray's is still one of the great bafflements of modern day rugby to me. That Richie Gray is back where he is after all the all the time over in France and being sort of semi available and not really available, and then not really playing very much, and then he was going to go and do a load of coaching and not barely play at all, etc., etc., etc. And and his form is revelatory. Absolutely, he's, he's terrific. I mean, the Scots do have, and they love Gilchrist. All the Scots love Gilchrist because he's a complete workhorse. Um, 
and they they've just got a pair of second rows uh, and and a, and a lively hooker and a, a little bit going on up front that they haven't had for years, and that's given them some some room to play. And they've got a back division which is in which is in Gregor Townsend's image. I think he's the image of himself as a rugby guy. I think he's closer to achieving that now than at any point in in um, in in his uh, stewardship of the Scotland side, and I think they're they're a very dangerous team. Which is not to say that I expect them to win in Paris. I think they may come up marginally short. However, I think it's a game, and and no no one's going to die of shock die of shock if they if they sneak it by four or five points. Um, I think it's a proper game that one. Be excellent. And provided that Scotland hold their own up front, you've got argue well two of the best three backlines in the Six Nations going up against one another. Brendan, whose backline's better at the moment? Do you think? Uh, I would say, as a back division, Scotland just about shade that one. Um, I mean, I thought I think we all thought to me in Dublin the other week um, that Dupont and Penno really kept France in that game. You know, heroic efforts from those two. Yes, Without yes. those two, it would have been a much more comprehensive. Ireland win. So this is quite an important match for France. They've got to, first of all, bounce back from, you know, a defeat which they, they haven't done, they haven't had that experience for a while. And one or two players have got to step up to the levels of their of the two superstars uh, because, you know, these wins just don't happen. It is at home. They haven't played at Stad very often recently. They were, they were sort of on tour, weren't they, in the autumn? I think they had one match at Stad, like two away matches to start this. So I think it'll be a right old occasion. I think there will be a good atmosphere. I'm expecting France to respond, but I'm expecting a hell of a match. Um, when we did these predictions a month ago or whatever, uh, I had France pretty firmly in my mind to win this. Uh, I think it'll be much, I don't know what score I did, but I think this will be this will be close. This will be properly yeah. close. I, I, I think what a great Sunday afternoon match. Brent, Brent's right about big French players standing up. There, there, there are two or three of them who are off it at the moment. I mean, everyone talks about Entomac, and I think it I think it is it is true that he's down a notch from uh, from from where where he's been at his best, but Aldrich's a little bit well. It's a whole lot quieter than he was last year. I think Marchand is a whole lot quieter than than we've seen him, particularly last time out. And those those are players. Aldrich and Marchand are, are players who will be in a conversation for a World Fifty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the fact that they're as far off it off their off their level as they are, or they appear to be at the moment, is interesting. And they yes, they could do. Uh, I think um, Gaultier could do with them. Um, shaping up a little bit. Galtier has yeah. been pretty good at um, mm. at tweaking things when he's needed to, and I think that one of the tweaks that he might need for this game is to um, to put Antemak on the bench and to bring Jalibert uh, in into the starting lineup. They've lost Antonio, which is obviously a huge <laughs> mountain <laughs> to lose. Um, and um, but they've got you know they've got uh, strength in depth at uh, at prop. Um, I, I've been quite disappointed with um, with Ramos at fullback. I thought that Jamine bought a not only has he got you know Ramos has got a very good boot on him, but you know Jamine's got a howitzer. Uh, but also when he comes into the line. He's more dangerous, I think, than Ramos. Ramos is tidy, but I think Jaminet's got just uh, that little bit more flair. So uh, they 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 do need to uh, to tune things up at uh, at the stad, and I think that they probably will. But Scotland will be difficult. I mean, I've got a margin that now appears too great in France's favour. 
But I hope I think I'll probably uh, get that one right. Yeah, we've all got um, France. Yeah. I think Brendan, you and I have got France by eighteen, which is looking a little. No, that's bit, not going to happen now. Uh, a little bit steep. Um, and then Nick and Chris, I think you've got France by thirteen and twelve. Jiffy's got France by eight, so I think he's probably stood in the best stead um, yeah. for that prediction. Yeah, now, but he didn't do this. He didn't do that stuff in advance of the tournament. I mean, no, I, he I, sent it this I, morning. I made my predictions when the Dead Sea Scrolls were being written. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, a hell of a lot has happened since I made those predictions. I'd like to go back on them all if I can. Well, Chris, it's so much more satisfying if you get them right. Well, yeah, but I'm not getting them true. right, Brendan, am I? That's the point. I'm not <laughs> getting them right. Therefore, the satisfaction is a complete dead herring. <laughs> Chris, your argument is, is also completely null, given that you made your prediction for Wales to be Ireland the week of Wales playing Ireland. Oh, uh, yes. That, 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 that was your massive L. Well, yeah, yeah, they didn't play very well that day, Wales, did they? I, I, I took I took that personally, actually. Like, um, <laughs> like I, I, I took the traditional English view of Wales. All of a sudden, you can't yeah. trust them. <laughs> now, very, very quickly before we wrap up, Italy, Ireland. We're all unanimous in predicting Ireland. Obviously, Tommy Castello on last week. He actually spoke of the game as one of the two remaining that they're more likely to grab a win in. Hopefully a red card doesn't kill the game off completely like it did last year. Um, Nick, is a fast start the key for the Italians and, you know, not letting Ireland settle? Because you feel like if they do click into gear quickly in Rome, they're pretty difficult to to overcome. I think that whether they Italy getting a fast start would obviously be good for them if they manage to get, um, you know, get, get on the scoreboard early. But... Um, you know what whatever happens whether they make a quick start or not um it'll be Ireland who finish with the more comprehensive finish i think i agree and look for time reasons we're going to wrap up there just a reminder for the predictions league of the current standings nick you might not know this actually um but we'll go in reverse order um bring <coughs> up the rear chris hewitt Still on 24. Nick, you're on 25. Myself and Brenda are on 30. And the special guests, much to Chris's dismay, are winning on 33. The only differential, obviously, this week is Wales-England, where we are divided. So there will be some rejigging, so stay tuned for that. And obviously, feel free to play along as well. You're looking pretty confident, Ollie. You obviously think... I'm feeling okay. I'm feeling okay about mine. Chris um, is looking a bit smug as well. I I, I, to, to be honest, to be honest, I've, 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 I've erased this whole thing from my mind as, as, uh, as I managed to erase the whole of my O level chemistry course. Um, um, what did, I, what did I predict for Wales and England? Um, oh, I'll tell you. You, you've got it. I want to say it's twenty two twenty to England, but that could be completely wrong. Um. No. Oh, I might have to come back. <laughs> I think I've missed that completely. You've actually predicted a Wales win. <laughs> Twenty-five. Have you been hacked, Ollie? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know how I missed that. It um, seems to me that people aren't taking my predictions as seriously as they might. <laughs> Chris, you've you've predicted twenty five seventeen um to Wales, so you've got the oh. biggest winning margin. For Wales out of all of us. Oh, you know, I mean, I, 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 I have um, every every faith in in a side that's got no players and don't want to play anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
I, I mean, if 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 it is a walkover and the game doesn't get played, I don't know what. Not that I don't know what. That's twenty eight nil. Is that twenty eight nil? Was it walkover? A bonus point win for England. Yeah, bonus point, which means I'll be bottom um, by an even greater margin than I am at the moment. So yeah, well, so, um, it, it, unusual for me to say this, but let's hope the industrial dispute is solved quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were looking to tighten your grip on the wooden spoon, Chris. Uh well it's 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 it will be just about the only thing I've ever won. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, we'll see, we'll see. Um, God, apologies for missing that, Chris. I could have shamed you a lot earlier than I just have. Um, for that prediction, but well, you 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 had your fun last week insulting Nick. Um, and Indeed. we'll 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 reconvene in a week's time when you've again erased it from your memory, and I can do my duty I, of reminding. I, I think you. I think Nick, I called you a complete idiot, and I regret yeah. that. <laughs> I regret. I, I, it's a complete misuse of the word "complete." You're going to be, you're going to be regretting it <laughs> double time <laughs> after next week. <laughs> oh dear! When you well, will be the consummate idiot. <laughs> well, <laughs> I look forward to the verbal disputes if Wales do get a win, because I think Brendan, you and I might have to. Well, me particularly, I might have to. There's going to be blood pie. in the water either way, isn't there? There is, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there is. <laughs> A rift through the middle of the Rugby Paper podcast. Right, before things blow over, let's wrap up for today, gents. Enjoy the rugby this weekend, and I'll see you all next week. Well done, team. Well played, lads. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Rugby Paper podcast. And don't forget to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you use and recommend the show to your friends. The Rugby Paper is available to buy every Sunday. And to make sure you don't miss it, subscribe through our print, digital and online options at therugbypaper.co.uk forward slash subscriptions. That's therugbypaper.co.uk forward slash subscriptions to get all our content for as little as 14p per day.